Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. Life is hard. Most of us know that from our own stories, and uh, it doesn't take much reading of Scripture to see that the stories of God's people affirm that as well. Stories of grief, stories of trial, stories of sorrow and heartbreak and doubt. I don't, uh, I don't remember what exactly the doctor said. Uh, Lauren and I had uh, wanted kids for, for many years, and the day that was supposed to be great celebration and excitement quickly turned into excruciating pain as we uh, saw no heartbeat on the screen. And that turned into uh, one of three miscarriages. Uh, my, my world was shook. Um, I had more questions than answers. I was struggling in my faith. Uh, I, I didn't know how to process my grief. I, it seemed best at the time to uh, publicly display a uh, little emotion. Uh, at that time, it also seemed like the the, the, the strongest in the faith were the most stoic. I was struggling. I, I had no idea how to process. I, I was lying to myself about how I was feeling. I was lying to others with how I was struggling. I was attempting to lying. I was attempting to lie to God with how I was struggling. I, I knew the right theological answer, so I, I didn't really go to God. And, and, and frankly, I was really concerned. Oh, I was really concerned with, with the feelings that I had and the emotions that I had at that time. What, what did that mean? I, I really did not even want to process that with God for where that might go. And, and so that, that turned into a couple years of wrestling with God. It was, it was also in that season that the, the Psalms became precious and became a friend to me. They, they gave me language. They, they gave me permission to grieve and to go to God with my pain. Athanasius says, most scriptures speak to us. The Psalms, they speak for us. In particular, the Psalms of lament speak for us when life is hard. I think for many of us, if the Lament Psalms weren't in the Bible, uh, then, then maybe many of us, like I was, would, would, would think that being honest with God with how we're feeling, how we're struggling, and faith would be at, at least foolish blabbering and at most sinful faithlessness. But what's astounding is that God has inspired the Lament Psalms. God has inspired the Lament Psalms, and he has preserved the Lament Psalms to give us language and to give us permission to not 
move away from our pain, but to turn towards him in our pain and to process our pain with him. Life is hard. So God gave us lament. Mark Vrogop says in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, lament stands in the gap between pain and promise. He says to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. Let's read our psalm this morning. Psalm 13. This is a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O God, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But, but, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The specific instance for David's lament is unknown. Uh, Verse 2, both ambiguously and with some clarity, lets us know that this is one of those instances where David's enemies had the upper hand. Now, the ambiguity, though, that allows us to, to adopt David's grief and his language. And so maybe as we start sliding our our feet into his sandals, the questions for us might be, what what are we struggling with? What are we burdened by? What are the things that you are wrestling with? A chronic health issue? The pain of the death of a loved one? A relational conflict, maybe betrayal. Depression. A hope for something good, something godly that's, that's been deferred. Guilt or a persistent sin that just won't relent. An injustice that seems to go unaddressed. Here's the point of our passage. Life is hard. So God invites you in Psalm 13 to respond to him in three faith-filled ways. Now, one important note before we begin, lament is a prayer of pain that leads to trust. Ours goes from sorrow to rejoicing, sorrow to singing, And and lament is a process that that must be seen all the way through. It's to be seen like a a highway that has no off-ramps and no shoulders. We, We may slow down, the journey may be long, but we can't stop. We have to keep going on this highway of lament if pain is to turn to trust. Okay, the the first faith-filled response to God when life is hard is, I doubt you. 
It's in verses one through two. Let's read it again. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Can you hear David's anguish four times, four times he interrogates God for answers? He knows who he's addressing. He calls out to God by his personal name, Yahweh. That's the all caps Lord. This is Yahweh. This is the personal covenant making God. This is the God who makes promises and keeps promises. This is the faithful God who rescued his people out of slavery from Egypt. And yet in agony, David cries, how long, O Yahweh? In the mire of his grief, it seems to David that God has forgotten him and hidden his face from him. Mark Rogop says, David is basically telling God that he feels as if God is not being godlike. David is deeply struggling. And not just with his pain, he's struggling with God. Injustice is one thing, Mark says, but God's lack of intervention is a deep pain, one that creates complaint. Now, the Israelites sinfully complained in the desert, so what's going on here? You see, the Israelites complained about God. David is complaining to God. What's the difference? The former is out of Unbelief, the latter is out of belief. It's faith in God. Even just a molecule of faith that pushes David towards God. As, as one Old Testament scholar says, it is precisely out of trust that God is sovereign that the psalmist repeatedly brings laments and petitions to the Lord. If the psalmist had already decided the verdict that God is indeed unfaithful, they would not continue to offer their complaint. How long, O oh Lord? How long? David's first two complaints, these, these weren't complaints that it seemed merely that God was absent-minded and forgetting or playing some sort of divine game of hide-and-go-seek. It's worse. For God to forget is to alienate. It is to abandon. And for God to hide his face from you was, was to withhold his covenant mercy from you. It's a curse reserved for God's enemies. What's more, since it seemed like God had abandoned David, he, he complains that he has to also turn inward and be his own counselor. Oh, have you, have you tried to be your own counselor in the midst of pain? It produces nothing good. David wants to know from God, how long will I have to be my own counselor? God's anointed, the, the one after God's own heart, feels abandoned and cursed by God. Yet, he still brings his disorientation to God. 
Christian culture, Christian culture can give the impression that we have to sort of skip over the hard things in life, or, or maybe that we need to push down what we're feeling and struggling with deep down, down where maybe God can't even see. But, but Psalm 13 tells us that God doesn't expect that from us. David displays, David displays shocking, humble, vulnerable, faith-filled honesty. The, the, the kind that's stripped of the hypocrisy that rotely recites right answers that aren't actually believed in the moment. This kind of honesty, it refuses, it refuses to let one's knowledge of God stand in place of genuine faith in God. I mean, came on, David knew the right Sunday school answers, and yet how long, O Yahweh? And if you're waiting for the lightning bolt to strike here, there's not one coming. God inspired these words. God inspired these words as a raw example for how we can share our grief, our sorrow, our doubts with him, even when they're not neat and theologically correct. Listen, there's more faith in a humble honest confession of doubt made to God than in the false piety of silence. And David doesn't merely complain to God, but in frail faith, he humbly opens himself up to God, the only one who can make sense of the, the bog of his pain. Paul Tripp says it is spiritually healthy when doubt drives you to bring your confusion to the one who has no confusion. You see, humility, humility presses into God. Pride evades God. Over and over in my pride, I can just review my circumstances, regret my decisions, worry about the outcomes. I, I, I must understand this. I must solve this. I can deliver myself from this. But, but humility, humility admits frailty and it bends us to God. A little over three years ago, I would have said that I struggled with uh, lots of just simple physical ailments, but nothing that would have equated to chronic pain. Then in the fall of 2017, that all changed. Since then, I have been consistently and more often than not constantly struggling with headaches. I've, I've seen doctors tried prescription stuff, over-the-counter stuff. I've gotten scans. I've seen two chiropractors. There, there are, yes, uh, some good days, some good weeks. But I have, I have been broken through this. I have been bedridden. Uh, days can be gone. Weeks can be just wrecked. I'd like to think that uh, 
I am more mature in my faith than I was three years ago, and I am now more intimately familiar with bringing my complaint to God. The questions of why, how, won't you relent? Isn't there, isn't there mercy here? I'm, I, I got it. I'm done, please. I, I, I get these questions. I, I get having just the, the molecule of faith that enables you to just scratch and claw your way to just begging and pleading. Maybe you're still, actually, I can appreciate this, suspicious that this first response to lament is, is acceptable. It feels a little uncouth, a little unchristian. I want to encourage you. I want to let you know that Jesus understands. Jesus is familiar with lament because Jesus knows the sorrows of injustice and betrayal and false accusations, hypocrisy, temptations, physical weaknesses, and abandonment. You see, family, before you ever brought one trouble, one, one sorrow to your heavenly father, Jesus has already been there. On the cross, he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, but unlike David, God did hide his face from Jesus. We might feel, you and I, certainly I have, can feel like God is hiding his face from us. In the, in the dark nights of our soul, and yet the truth from Scripture is that because of Jesus, in Jesus, God will never turn his face from you. Jesus was forsaken so that you would not be. This, this psalm, the lament psalms, they, they, they create space for us to, to cry, to, to be confused to express our questions, our troubles, our doubts to God. Yes, even our, our questions, our doubts, our struggles with God. But God's not going to be surprised with what you share with him. And, and if you allow me this, what's more is God's a, God's a big boy, and he can handle what you bring to him. I mean, here's the deal. If you're not going to admit that there is a problem and that you are struggling to God, you will not receive his help. And, and here's the sad reality is if you are not going to turn to him, you will turn somewhere else. You will turn somewhere else. Maybe to cynicism or being callous. Maybe to distractions like shopping or entertainment. Maybe... Maybe back to an addiction to numb the pain. And, and come on, no, no real lasting help comes from these things. We, we know that. But if we are not going to turn to God, we, we will turn somewhere else. Family, our, our Heavenly Father is giving us a way to walk with Him in our pain. And in the first step in this process is to bear your soul to Him. Do it, do it humbly, but do it honestly. 
And remember, no, no off-ramps on this highway. David, David doesn't stop here. The second faith-filled response to God when life is hard is seen in verses 3 through 4. I need you. Let's reread the verses. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. This is bold faith. Bold faith on display. Now listen, though. Bold faith does not mean that you have to move beyond the pain. Bold faith presses into God with the pain and pleads for his help. Do you see the subtle shift taking place in, in David's heart? By faith, David now cries out to Yahweh, my God. It, it may feel like God is distant and cold, but David takes to task his false feelings and starts baby-stepping his way to trust. With, with bold faith, David shifts from interrogating God to imploring God to act. He, he pleads for God to act in three ways, and, and, and if you'll notice, David poetically starts imploring God to do the things that it seems like he's not doing. Here's, here's what it sounds like. How long are you going to look away? God, I need you to consider me, to look at me, to be gracious to me. And, and, and God, not only that, but I need you to answer me. I, I need your favor. I need you to act. God, not only that either, I need you to light up my eyes, hold me fast, and grant me fresh faith to keep trusting you. I need you. Now, this, this imploring is not imploring God to act contrary to his character or contrary to his promises. This isn't, this isn't pleading for specific outcomes. This isn't manipulation. This isn't treating God like a genie. And, and nor is this... Uh, David supposing to be uh, wiser or more righteous than God. David, in bold faith, implores, he pleads for God to act based on his character and his promises. You see, and brothers and sisters, God is inviting you through David's example to have bold faith as well. The kind of faith that presses into God with your pain and pleads for his help based on who he is and in keeping with his promises. Now listen, this, this bold faith, this bold faith does not come from some tough guy mentality. You bring in your pain. It doesn't come from you. It comes from outside of you. It comes from Jesus. Here's how the writer of Hebrews puts it in chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. He says, We do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So, as a result, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. You see, family, at some point, at some point on this, this highway of lament with no off-ramps and no, no shoulders, 
You may slow down. Learning may be, the journey may be long, but some, at some point on this, this journey, because of Jesus, your sympathetic high priest, you can turn the corner from saying, I doubt, to I need you. But even there, David doesn't stop. The third and final faith-filled response to God when life is hard is seen in verses 5 through 6. I trust you. I trust you. Let's, let's reread these verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David has been honest. David has implored God to act. Now David puts his confidence in God. Listen, no pretense that the pain doesn't exist. There is no evidence in Scripture, no reason to conclude that David is, is somehow beyond his pain in a different circumstance. David is in the same spot. David is in the same spot, but in his soul... David decisively resolves to put his confidence, his trust in God as he yet still processes the pain. Listen to how Daniel Estes describes this. Through his tears, David catches a glimpse of God. Despite his turmoil, he chooses to trust. With parched lips and a quivering voice, he begins to sing. Despite all the observable evidence and contrary to his, his human feelings, David finds his security and confidence in Yahweh. And David's confidence is not in the quality of his faith. David's confidence is in the object of his faith. David makes three professions of faith, of confidence in God. The first profession is, I have trusted in your steadfast love. Now, maybe your translation says faithful love or loving kindness, or unfailing love. Our translations are just grasping at how to, how to capture this idea. This, and the Hebrew word here is hesed. Hesed love combines two ideas. Love and commitment. Love and commitment. This describes God's covenant love for his People. It's the love by which he freely, based on nothing in us, this is the love by which he freely commits himself to us. This is his total commitment to keep his promises to us, his unwavering, unchanging, always and forever loyal love to you and to me. God was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way to David, and that was despite their unfaithfulness. And, and so even though David's feelings about God in light of his pain try to deceive him into thinking otherwise, David is determined to trust 
to cling to God's proven, loyal, faithful love. Family, how much more, how much more this side of the cross ought we cling to God's proven, faithful, loyal love? This side of the cross, we've seen God faithful to fill all his promises in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20, oh, proclaims joyously all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Christian, because of God's covenant made to you in Jesus Christ, he is fully and unwaveringly and unchangingly committed to you. And and his commitment is not to be measured in our circumstances or how we are feeling in any given moment. His commitment is to be measured and seen in the cross. It's seen in the blood-pierced hands and feet of Jesus. It's seen in his resurrection from the grave. It's it's seen in Jesus now seated at the right hand of God. It's, It's seen in Jesus now interceding for you. Brothers and sisters, the moment God chose you in Christ, he fully committed himself to you, to be faithful to you, to be loyal to you, to love you now and forever. Listen, because of God's commitment to you in Jesus, in the darkest night of your soul, you can be confident that no one, not yourself, No one will snatch you out of the Father's hand. And nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And and that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion and that he will be with you always. If you're trusting to Jesus, God is fully fully committed to you. He's committed to to using, indeed using your, your, your sorrows, your struggles to conform you into the image of Christ. There will be nothing that is wasted in the end. Response. Brothers and sisters, the response to a loyal, faithful, loving God like this is trust him. Two. The second profession of confidence in God is my heart shall rejoice in God's salvation. This flows out from the first profession since David understands that God is totally committed to his people. David is absolutely confident in God's salvation. Again, circumstances haven't changed. But David is moving his eyes of faith to the future. A future where David knows in part, not in whole, that God has promised to deliver his people and to bring them safely home into his presence. There is pervasive biblical wisdom in drawing confidence in God, drawing hope in bleakness by looking up and beyond our present situation and to the glorious future that God has promised for his people. 
When was the last time that you reviewed? Have you reviewed? When was the last time you reviewed the sufferings of the Apostle Paul? 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28 says this. This is, this, is, this is Paul writing this. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I say that to give context because this is the man who also said in Romans 8.18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Huh. Brothers and sisters, we, we have the sweet and precious promise that is Yes, in Jesus, that in the end, beyond the pain, beyond the suffering, that there will be a day where God will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. David is confident in this future that he has because he is confident in the God who is totally committed to him. And it causes him, in the midst of his pain, to sing, to rejoice. And so much more has been revealed to us. How much more ought we to rejoice in God's salvation? Your hope for a bright future is secure. Your eternal destiny is fixed in Christ. Let this sure promise buoy you along in the rivers of sorrow and grief. Three, the third and final profession of confidence in God is, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's rejoicing. There's singing. Again, David's pain hasn't relented, and yet he's going to sing. Why? Because, he says, Yahweh has dealt bountifully with me. Oh, my. Your translation may say, because he has been good to me, the, the term that's behind the phrase, because he has dealt bountifully or because he has been good, essentially means that God, God has rewarded to David something that he didn't deserve in the first place. In other words, David is confident in God's graciousness towards him, and it moves him to worship in the pain. 
How about you? Even in the midst of pain, can you say that you are confident in God's graciousness towards you? Do you see his graciousness towards you in Christ? Or does your pain cloud that away? Pain, heartache, brokenness, sin, all of it is expected in a fallen and broken world. The Bible is clear. You and I deserve nothing of the good that comes to us. We deserve hell and God's wrath for our sins. And so that God deals bountifully with you at all. It's his grace. Sorrow remains, yet singing commences. 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul describes himself as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's a paradox. (laughs) That's a paradox that only stands up in the Christian's life. It only stands up in the understood tension of the already and not yet. It only stands up in the understood reality that this life is broken. Jesus wept. And yet it stands up because we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. And that God has dealt bountifully with us in Christ. And that we have a secure and bright and glorious future secured in heaven forever with our Father because of Jesus. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing is the great and glorious paradox that we get to stand in and rest in and enjoy, and that looks radical to a watching world. Towards the end of his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark Rogop says, lament leads to trust. But the path is not always clear or straightforward. Don't get hung up getting it perfect. I'll add, you won't. Mark says, but don't stop making this turn toward trust. Learn to live in the tension of pain beyond belief and divine sovereignty, beyond comprehension by stepping into trust. Choose to place your confidence in God. Life is hard. I don't have to tell you that, but it is, and it will be until Jesus comes back or you go home to to be with him. Life is hard. So God tenderly invites you in Psalm 13 and in the lament psalms to turn to him and wade into your sorrow with him. God has inspired these words. He has graciously given us these words to give us language to our pain and to invite him into our pain, to make sense of the the confusion 
of the maze of our sorrow. And family, God wants to give you more grace to keep pressing into him, to keep trusting him, and to lament well for your good and for his glory. Let's pray. Well, we thank you. And your kindness, I think this is one of those things, lament, that if you had not inspired and kept in your word for us to see and to know, I, I don't think we'd, we'd be doing it. It, it, it sounds and feels so contrary, but, but in your infinite wisdom, you are giving us grace to lament, to have lament and to lament. So, Father, please, please help us. We need your help. Th thank you for your help in, in just providing the lament, giving us language and invitation, but help us to press into you when we're struggling. Would, would we be eager to use these psalms, like, a, like Psalm 13, as a, as a trusty guide to help us to go from pain to trust, to darkness to light, to utter confusion to still some confusion, but trust. Thank you for your Sweet and promise, precious promises kept in Christ. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.